the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, today we turn back to the book of Romans. We invite you to join us for Abounding Grace and Pastor Gary Wagner coming up next. And again, hi, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, online at reformedheritage.org. Today, we turn back to the book of Romans after a brief time out. As we get back into Romans, we do so in chapter 11, verses 16 through 24. It's a solemn warning of grace. You know, grace is something we cling to. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. But there's also a warning within all of that. And that's what we're exploring today. Here's Pastor Gary, and today's Abounding Grace. The solemn warning of grace. Sometimes we hear things early in life that leave a lifetime impact upon us. Some of those for me were when I worked in my dad's bakery. Son, get in, get it done, and get out. In other words, do your work well, no fooling around, and get home. Another thing he would tell me was, Gary, this is going to hurt me worse than it will you in relation to using the rod of correction. And now, of course, after raising five of my own children, I fully understand what he meant. I remember when I was about 10 years old, my mother, grandmother gave me a little book of devotions titled Little Visits with God, which actually is still available. And after reading it, telling my mom, and I was about nine years old, I want to be a minister. These things left an impression upon me. The human race heard something in its infancy that has left a very bad impression when it heard Satan whisper, you shall be as gods, determining good and evil for yourselves. It's amazing how one little line has just shaped and ruined so many. In fact, all of us in one way or another. That's why today in our particular nation, men believe they can spend, 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 fornicate, dress like women, do whatever they want to do with no reference to anyone but themselves. No consequences except for having other people congratulating them for being true to themselves. Now, of course, we're all still hearing Satan's lie, you shall be as gods. No consequences, just go on your own way. We put labels today on everything, labels for boys who have a lot of energy 
And of course they have a lot of energy. But they don't need any labels. They need discipline in their life. They need order. They need no television. We put labels on what we call quantitative easing. But we all know what it is. It is reckless government spending. Now the remedy for these things is diligent parents and national submission in repentance toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Labels, excuses, and they're there. They try to get us to be able to avoid personal responsibility. Just pass the buck, pass the blame, put God, but God has got this little law written on the deepest foundation of this universe, and no one, no one gets away from it. That which a man sows, that will he also reap. Can't get away from it. Now you would think, wait a minute, we're professing Christians, so we don't need to blame Uh, Yes, we do. Because Satan's lie resonates in our hearts as well. You know, find something else. Protect my reputation. Protect my name, my privacy, my children. Find something else to blame other than your elders or me or all of us. And that's why the Lord gives us this warning. Notice Romans is not written to the world. Romans is written to Christians. And he gives us this very, very strong warning in verses 22 through 24. You may be cut off if you do not continue in God's goodness. Now, why does the Lord do this? Come on, Lord, just give us sweetness and little tea parties and everything will be nice. No, he knows our delusions and our pride must be replaced with truth and meekness or we will never be whole and we will never be happy. That's why the father sent the son into the world to bear our curse on the cross to show us this is how serious sin is. I'm going to put my son to death for the sins of the world. But on the other side of that is, of course, he raised him from the dead to give us unshakable hope that sin shall not have dominion over us. That there is a way to get out of this cycle of blame shifting and guilt and fear and to take personal responsibility. And that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He breaks the power of sin. And he will break it in your life and in mine if we believe on his name and we walk in fellowship with him. So we need warnings like these throughout scripture. And I want to prep you a little bit ahead of time because the air each one of us breathes in this culture is the poison air of personal irresponsibility, national rebellion and blaming everyone else and only Jesus Christ can blow these fumes back to the hell from which they came and breathe on us the Holy Spirit to give us a fresh and new life. When we read in verse 22 that we are to behold the goodness 
and severity of God, we should quite frankly be terrified that God would cast away his former people, the seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and of Moses and Daniel. We should be terrified. It should likewise astound us, same verse, that God would bring us into their place, into the Jews' place and covenant, because we had no hope. We were justly excluded from every hope of salvation. Our people were star worshipers. They were very superstitious, vain wranglers, addicted to philosophy on the one hand, and animism on the other. We were a horrible lot because we had rebelled against God. And yet, He came to us in His mercy and He brought us as a Gentile people into a covenant that we were justly excluded from into a hope that we had completely forfeited. This is the only time in Scripture to my knowledge, that the adjective severe is applied to God by the Holy Spirit. And the word means rigorous, rough, and sharp-pointed. Now, God is long-suffering, and he is merciful. Each one of us can bear witness to that because of our own lives and the work that he's done in him. But there does come, come a moment, a time known to him only when he says... I have given you opportunity to repent long enough. I've extended my mercy to you. I've invited you to my marriage feast long enough. And as with the Jews, when God's invitation is treated with contempt, God eventually responds with severity, roughness, and rigor. Now, we need to be really clear about this severity. God was unbelievably long-suffering to his former people, sending prophet after prophet to warn them. Now imagine this. God through Hosea and basically, basically saying, you're a whore. I'm a proud husband, but I'm going to go out after you in the wilderness and bring you back because I love you. Come to me. I don't care about your filth. I don't care about all the lovers. I'll wash it all away. He stretched out his hands all day long to a disobedient and stiff-necked people. And then who did God send his son to? Those same people, the Jews. But by the time Jesus came, other than a very small handful were by and large wholly addicted to their ceremonies, to Judaism, and wholly addicted to surviving in the Roman world. And yet the Father remembered his covenant, even though most of them didn't. And Jesus, the Son of God, came to his own, and his own received him not. God honored his covenant. God remembered his mercy. He let these people, these sinful men, women and young people, by the hundreds of thousands, see incredible miracles. Things that if we could see just one of them, I pray would leave us dumbfounded and forever worshiping the rest of our lives. And yet, 
He let them see as if miracles were common as silver in Solomon's day. The feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, raising the dead. Everyone knew Lazarus was dead. And yet there was Lazarus standing up and walking around. Jesus said, come forth. And he came forth. So God remembered his people. And he did show them his mercy. But what did the Jews do? They killed the Son of God. They crucified the Lord of glory. And what did God do? Just like Jesus, he sent devastating, unrelenting judgment upon that generation because they rejected the Messiah. The Jews were unrelenting in their pride and in their hard-heartedness. So God was unrelenting in his judgment. And don't ever forget this. The consequences of sin, not that bad usually. The consequences of of a job loss, comparatively, not that bad. And I know this is not how we think, but the consequences of unbelief are terrible. They are the worst things that you can endure. If you are a believer and you have a multitude of cancers, you can be as happy as a clam. But if you are an unbeliever and you have everything your heart could wish, but you do not believe the gospel, judgments that you cannot imagine lie over your head and they will come, especially since we have heard as the people, the Gentiles, the gospel. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Fearful. Now, if we were left only with that word severity, we may as well pray, earth, Open up and swallow us. Rocks fall upon us. But happily we are not. We are told not only to consider it carefully, but we must, cons- but we must consider it carefully. It is an imperative command in verse 22 to consider God's severity carefully. Because if we are not humble. By what God did to the Jews, then we are never going to be ready to stand in awe of God's grace and mercy to the Gentiles. We have no holy root. They did. So Paul brings forward this grace and he says, think not only of the severity, but of the goodness of God. Probably here is a parable idea to grace God's undeserved kindness. Notice how Paul immediately in verse 22 makes this personal. He says towards thee or toward you. Each one of us, you, me, is to think about God's goodness. Not what we don't have. Not what we wish we had, but we don't think we ever will have. All of that stuff only obscures, covers how good God has been to us through His Son. So you, me, us, we need to be brought to feel the wonder of God's grace. And that is what Paul tells them in verse 22. Remember who we were. 
strangers from the covenant, without God, without hope in the world. We had nothing except idolatry, superstition, sensuality, vain philosophy. Yet God had mercy upon us when we were dead in our sins. Remember, Gentiles, there was no reason for God to come and get you. A dead man, a dead woman, dead in your sins, facing death as the wages of your sin. There was nothing you could do to move him to be favorable towards you. You had no goodness. And yet, to give a testimony to his grace, and because God so loved the world, he sent his son. And we should ask, why? Why, oh why? Did God love that sin-cursed Gentile world? Why would he show mercy to his enemies and lay their sins on the back of his beloved son? Why? Because of his goodness, his undeserved kindness to the unworthy. There's no other explanation. And that's why Paul tells them, continue in this goodness. Now, many portions of the church have not always responded to grace like this, continuing in that grace, continuing in God's goodness. Asia Minor was once largely discipled, but is now a hotbed of the Islam insanity. Europe was, once was largely functionally, confessionally Christian, yet the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, two world wars has brought Europe spiritually low. By the way, God doesn't look at those events as periods of time between them disconnected. No, the Enlightenment, France, Europe, turned away from the Reformation and from their own son, John Calvin. So God sent them the French Revolution. And he said, you won't bow before the head, so I'm going to cut yours off. And he sent them two world wars all over Europe. Of course, the United States is not far behind God's judgment because our land is filled with the madness of unbelief as well. The point here Paul makes is that don't think, Gentile believers, don't think that Romans, the first flush of the church age within 30 to 40 years of the ascension of the Lord, don't think well, God cut off the Jews, but I'm as secure as I can possibly be. No, if you don't continue in God's goodness, if you don't respond to God's grace in Jesus with humility and love and praise and service to God, service to your family, to the church, to the world, don't think you're going to get off scot-free. For if God cut them off, he'll certainly cut you off. Gentiles, unless you continue in God's goodness. Isn't it interesting? God gives the same warning to us Gentiles that he gave to his former people, which should remind us that the covenant is virtually the same. So how do we continue in God's goodness? Well, we must cling tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus must be more to us than something that just flips around in our heads every now and then. 
No, we must pray hour by hour. Lord, please save me. Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me grace. Lord, give me humility that I can serve you in this particular job. If it is a 10-second prayer, that's okay. You are never going to learn humility and dependence upon the Lord if you wait for mountaintop revelations. It's the 10 seconds. It's the 30 seconds. It's the throughout the day. Lord, I need you. I am being tempted. Would you please help me come to my aid? I can't resist the temptation, this pride, this lust, this anger, fear, worry. I cannot resist it. The devil is in me. It's my own sin. Would you please come to my aid? That is the way we continue in God's goodness, beloved. What about the psalmist? The psalmist said in Psalm 137.5, If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Did you think about the bride of Christ this week, our Israel? If God said this and his temple was just as earthly, was just an earthly shack in comparison to his glory, how much more now that we, we are the living temple of Christ must we be thinking about one another, remembering God's glory and goodness to his church. You know, every time someone praises God for something, a shout ought to go up. We ought to praise the Lord for his goodness. But most of the time, Our eyes are just looking down at our idol, me. What's wrong? Why don't I have what I want? Why can't my husband be better? Why can't my wife be better? Why can't my children be better? Why can't I have more money? Why can't my life be more like I want it to be? God says, as long as you look down at your idol, at yourself, you are going to be miserable. Oh, my health. Oh, my appearance. Why doesn't anyone like me? Why don't I have a boyfriend? Why don't I have a girlfriend? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? God says, stop looking at your idol and continue in my goodness and think of my love. Do you, professing Christian, do I feel this way about Jesus? Have you ever said to him, You are fairer than the children of men. Lord Jesus, you are more beautiful to me than anyone or anything I have ever seen. And I haven't even seen you yet. All I have seen is your outlines written on your word. And I've seen your footsteps in my life and in the lives of your people. And you are more beautiful to me than anything. You see, that's how we continue in God's goodness. When we love Jesus like this, when there is the language of intimacy with him. You know, David said to Jonathan, your love is better to me than the love of women. Now, David loved women. Of course, his problem with Bathsheba was probably not just limited to once. Just about every woman he ran into, he winds up marrying. There was a noble, deep friendship and intimacy with Jonathan. It had nothing to do with eroticism. It had nothing to do with perversion. 
I ask you, do you men recline on Jesus' breast? John did and was not the least embarrassed about it. You say, well, that's a Middle Eastern thing. Well, whatever it was, it was love. It was desire. It was full commitment. This is how we continue in God's goodness. Not our smug theological traditions. Not thinking that we're better than everyone. Is that us? When you think of yourself or we think of this little congregation, do we believe wisdom dies with us? In fact, everyone should be coming and sitting at our feet, and if they don't, they are in a box. I have credited for everyone who doesn't think as highly of my opinion as I think of it. You see? That's how we are in danger of being cut off. That's not continuing in God's goodness. That's not being humbled by God's love. That's not clinging tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ as a real living person, the Savior of sinners, the most beautiful person in the universe, the God-man. That's not holding fast to Him. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.